Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is Football Social Daily, keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily podcast. My name's Ant McGinley and this is the place where every day we bring you the latest Premier League news or when we're on a bit of an international break, we look at those Premier League stars who have been turning it on at international level. And there's been a lot of focus on the World Cup, both qualifying and preparing for Qatar 2022. Uh, last night, England took on Ivory Coast, which we will talk about in a moment. But the people who will probably be celebrating the most today uh, will be Liverpool's Sadio Mane and Manchester United's Cristiano, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo alongside Bruno Fernandes because they seem to have booked their place on the plane to Qatar. Uh, also, uh, Jude Bellingham might be in for that as well. Uh, one player who will not be at the biggest football tournament of them all, though, is Mo Salah, who's probably woken up today not celebrating but wearing sunglasses after the amount of laser pointers he faced during a penalty shootout. It was a carbon copy of the African Nations Cup. And once again, Senegal came out on top. And another Premier League star is big news as well. Christian Eriksen has done it again, returning to the stadium where he collapsed during the Euros to show he really is back to his best, scoring in Denmark's win over Serbia. So there's a lot to talk about, and it's not going to be just me this morning. I'm joined uh, by a couple of friends from the Football Social Daily family. Uh, they include Manchester United fan Joel Tudor. Good morning, guys. And a rather under-the-weather Marley Anderson. Good morning, Marley. Good morning. How are you? Better than me, I suppose. Yeah. You, you, have you got a Lemsip handy to get you through? Uh, I've currently got a brew, but um, yeah, the Lemsip could be could be coming out later. And the day nurse and the night nurse, as I've successfully avoided COVID for two years, but now it feels like it's gripped me by the throat. But we'll have to see what the, uh, what the test says later. Uh, for those of you listening outside the UK, I may have to explain Lemsip and Brew, but I'll do that later <laughs> because we've got a lot of football news to get through. So let's start with England. Uh, it was a much-changed lineup again as England cruised past 10-man Ivory Coast. 
Uh, well, they weren't 10-man for the whole game. It was just about five minutes uh, before half-time. Uh, Sergio Aurea, the former Tottenham player, uh, got himself sent off. A little bit of trivia for you now. Uh, Sergio Aurea has now been sent off in every stadium that Tottenham wow. have played in <laughs> at home. Wow. That is a stuff. <laughs> uh, although... Uh, Although he, he did he did scoop a one record because I think he he'd never lost playing at the London Stadium or Wembley. Of course, um, while Spurs' new stadium was in development, uh, Serge was at Tottenham and uh, they used Wembley as their home games for about half a season. Um, so let's look at the game now away from that. Let's look at England. Uh, it's a very difficult night for Harry Maguire. We'll come and talk to that talk about that in a moment but let's focus on the actual performance uh, as I say going into the game uh, they have some very talented players in the Ivory Coast squad but that was very much nullified by England Joel who stood out for you in terms of the three lines I would say night? that two stood out for me I know I'm going away from your question but I thought the two that were the, the kind of ones that really made the mark Jude Bellingham I think was one of them um, I think in a year compared to what he looked like in the last Euros whenever he made a couple of cameo performances he just looked way way much more like a bit of a man in that midfield now rather than before he, to be fair even still I mean at Dortmund he's been playing in that first team for since he was what 19, 18 now uh, but I thought in that game he just looked super composed and very uh, comfortable, uh, comfortable and really made it his own he didn't look lost in that midfield which Sometimes you would think a player of his age, he might need someone who has a bit more experience next to him, but he, he looks very comfortable. And then, um, I've, as I've been saying, though, I feel like he can easily take that that place of um, Calvin Phillips as well, considering he's literally not played all season. And I think Bellingham absolutely deserves to take his place. And judging off that performance yesterday, which of course the game was a little bit skewed because they were down to 10 men pretty early, which was a bit bad for the whole experience of watching it but uh, and I also thought Sterling was just an absolute live wire all game he seems to just become a different player in England not to say that he's bad for City but I mean for England he just seems to have a little bit more uh, freedom on the ball and like a bit of a more of a free roam role whereas Pep systems a little bit you know he has, he has his role and he stick to it a little bit more uh, but I thought those two players really stood out for me and obviously they're, them two are pretty much guaranteed sure starters to be able to be in the England squad um, but yeah like I say the game was just a little bit skewed just because of the fact that after 10 men in what 30, the 13, 35th minute uh, I even saw Jack Grealish complaining to the referee that he didn't want him to give a red card because it was going to change the whole game again and make it a bit of a backs against the wall for the Ivory Coast so it was a bit of a strange game but yeah I'd say those two for me were the ones that really made their mark against 10 men yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen an opposition player complain about a, a, a red card. Um, one of the questions that was put to uh, Southgate before this game, Marley, was the potential of running a Manchester City front line uh, with, with this kind of false nine using uh, Phil Foden. Uh, and actually, in, in the game last night, you did have uh, Sterling set up by Jack Grealish. Uh, the potential there for that Manchester City front three is an option which we haven't seen at England so far but last night we saw that obviously the, the ingredients are all there and it can work at that level but um, Southgate has been very keen to look at straight alternatives to Harry Kane and obviously Tammy Abraham uh, 
uh, is somebody who's been mentioned and not really had the chance to sort of join the squad and, and show what he can do. Uh, and so we saw Ollie Watkins last night, who basically did all that you can do in that position if you're given the chance. He, he got the opportunity and he took a goal. But do you think he's he's not had the best season at Aston Villa this year, but do you think he's done enough to keep him in Gareth Southgate's thoughts? Yeah, I think I think he'll be... I think he'll be in and around the squad. It depends on who's available in in December, I suppose, because I think there's a couple of players ahead of him. You know, I think um, Abraham's probably the the backup, uh, the number one sort of alternative to Kane, um, and even Calvert Lewin. If he gets a move in the summer and starts next next season well, or if he, even if he stays at Everton and they start the the season, all right. Well, he does anyway. Everton probably won't, but he he might. Um, I think they're probably ahead of him in terms of centre forward because I think. He's more sort of playing from a wing in uh, in Villa's team now, with uh, with Danny Ings down the middle. Um, so I think if if he was to get in on that form, I think there's better players who would play. I think the the role he's he's gonna play for England would be down the middle. Um, and I think there's way more um, players out wide. So he he wouldn't play out wide if if the squad was picked like tomorrow. I don't think because England have got a, an absolute. You know who's who of wingers. There's there's loads of them. Um, there's even quality ones not in the squad, uh, like Harvey Barnes, for example, is playing out his skin at Leicester, but can't get in the squad, and that that just shows the depth England have got. So, I think with Watkins, he'll he'll always offer you something because he's he's fast. And England, thinking about who who England have got as really fast, mobile strikers, and I don't think there's that many um, off the top here. They they tend to be sort of more centre forwardish and. Like comfortable with the back to goal, good in the air type of thing. So it it just depends, really. You know, eight months time, a lot of football to be played by then. If he's banging the minutes at Aston Villa or wherever he he, he might be, then you know he's he's definitely got a chance because he's he's not done anything wrong in his in his time. He he played quite well last night. Um, I thought he could have been better with his his sort of link up play and his his sort of um, like playing the final third type of thing. But you know got himself a goal and and that will uh will sort of give him confidence to to go on into the the games in June and then the games next season ahead of the uh the final squad being selected in November. Tyrone Mings had a good game as well popping up with a goal right at the end and of course a clean sheet so uh, a very good game as far as defenders concerned. Uh but up till now he's very much been sort of the second choice of center backs and you would have to look at somebody Sort of stepping down or falling out of uh, that first choice favour, uh, which means there's always going to be a lot of pressure and more pressure than usual for Harry Maguire last night. Uh, not only did he see Sterling take the captain's armband, put in a great performance and score, but he found himself booed rather heavily by his own fans. First of all, when his name was read out in terms of the lineup. Uh, which is never a good sign. And secondly, on his very first touch, and uh, though there was sort of pockets of the fans that were trying to sort of show their support for him, um, it, it's it's not gone down well. And after the game, Southgate's come out and talked about it, that, that the players have rallied around as well. Uh, Jordan Henderson and Declan Rice and Jack Grealish have all come out and be very uh, vocal in their support of Harry Maguire. But... <coughs> Um, I'm going to put this one to you, Joel. Actually, as a, as a Man United fan, you, you've seen Harry play more uh, than than probably either me or Marley. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of another 
uh, United player who had a very high profile time with England um, who was booed by uh, fans and even at one stage I think they were burning effigies of David Beckham um, do, you, do you think that this is a something that Maguire can come back from uh, and, and actually will be really character building because I think using that comparison of David Beckham we really saw a, another element of, of Beckham post that sending off against Argentina in 98. Well, I guess, yeah, this is what I mean. With the Beckham situation, I'm not saying it was justified, but it was in reaction to him getting a red card. So at least he had something to boo and do all that crazy stuff about. Not that I'm condoning it because it was a bit ridiculous. But in the, in the case of Maguire, it was just... When I heard it, I was just I was thinking to myself, what what's the reason for it? Because it's not even the fact that he's been playing bad for England. They were booing the fact that... Well, the only two reasons I can think of is one, that they don't agree with the fact that he's been called up because he's been bad for United this season. And two, the fact that he's playing for England. But, I mean, if you're nine months away from a World Cup, surely, (laughs) I don't understand why you'd want to boo one of your own international players considering the fact that for the last four years... In 2018 and in 2021, for both tournaments, he's been pretty colossal for England. Um, he only just got into the Euro. He only recently got into the Euro team of the tournament in, in in the last summer, and along with Luke Shaw as well, who hasn't had his finest season. So for me, it was a bit. It was just a bit strange, and I can understand why Southgate and all of the players have come out and kind of leaped to his defence because. He hasn't put a foot wrong for England at all, to be honest. He's, they're literally booing on the basis of him playing bad for a team that majority of those booers didn't doesn't don't even support. It, it just it is not logical at all. It makes zero sense to me. But you can guarantee that if he was to score the winner in a semi final in nine months' time, you won't you won't hear any of them. So it's football is a very fickle sport, and it's just very strange to me how it was so close to the to the finals as well. Um, but yeah, you know what? People are entitled to their own opinion, but I think Southgate is very protective of the like the harmony and the connection between the fans and the actual national team because as we've seen, God, for the, what, the last two decades pretty much, it's been very cold and I don't think the fans have even enjoyed watching England from a, a prior to Southgate's arrival just because it just seemed like there was a bunch of players who played amazingly for their club and then when they came for their country they would just be an absolute shell of themselves whereas the opposite has happened here in this case where Maguire actually really comes out of his shell when he plays for England and he loves playing for England and yet fans still want to try and like tear down his character it's it's become a bit of a bit of a character assassination for me where they're just trying to continue this I think it's a bit of a sheep mentality in, in my opinion so yeah it's a strange one and of course he will get picked and it is strange as well that you know Southgate does pick people who he trusts rather than based off their club form but again you can only say that he, he does well for England he's, you wouldn't re- I wouldn't know who I would pick ahead of him because he, he does fit that system so well under Southgate and that's the reason he picks him consistently Mally, I'm I'm thinking of uh, Jordan Pickford a little bit here because there's been a lot of shouts for for Pickford to be sort of you know dropped down and and give Henderson a chance or to give um, Nick Pope a chance and you know Pickford's not had you know not in a great side at the minute he's facing he's behind a very leaky defence uh, and yet Southgate's shown real faith with him and particularly in the performance we saw 
uh, against Switzerland, we saw Pickford at his best, really. Um, do you think that in, in this situation where, you know, you've got this sense of, like, you know, having a great season at your club and you find yourself being berated by your own supporters at international level, how valuable is that support from from Southgate going to be? I think it's uh, it's it's very valuable. I think um, to I think if you're a player and you know the manager respects you and and um, and has your back in in most situations, you know that can only give you confidence. And uh, you know, think just thinking about the the Maguire thing. I'm I'm, I'm glad Joel said the word cheap because it was the exact word that was on my in, on my mind about this whole thing. Like the England fans. England fans, as England fans, have no issue with with Harry Maguire. They have no reason to have an issue, but they see Man United getting getting tetchy every week and 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 saying, "Oh, Maguire's not playing well. What's he What's he doing in our team? We should be winning the league and blah blah blah, and we should be better than we are and all the rest of it." And then they see they see Man United fans booing and they go, "Right, well, well, we must have to boo him as well." Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, right, we'll boo him. Yeah, and you know. England had what seventy percent possession against Ivory Coast, an absolute walk in the park thanks to Sir Jorier's stupidity at getting somehow sent off in a friendly, um, and then you know Maguire didn't put a foot wrong. He didn't. He didn't have. He didn't, have, didn't even have the opportunity to put a foot wrong because it was that easy a game, and then you get the fans booing, and it make, it just makes no sense because if you if there's a problem with a player, like. I, I understand like booing players is, is part of the game. For example, booing Kurt Zuma is absolutely understandable because he did something wrong in his in his personal life. So whoever you are, people are gonna not like him for that. There's countless, you know, other um examples of, of players doing things wrong and that people don't like and then getting booed for it. But you know, playing slightly badly for Man United is not a reason to boo a player when he pulls on an England shirt. It makes zero sense to me. Absolutely no sense at all. Um, so to sit there and pay, I don't know how much it is to go and watch England, but it's, it's too bloody much. Um, and travel to London if that's what you've done, or even you know just travel across London to get to Wembley, and then to sit there and boo Harry Maguire is is bizarre to me. It doesn't matter how he's playing for Man United. Judge him. You're an England fan. You're not there to support Man United. You're not. To, you're not there just to support the Man United players. Um, if you are, if you are a Man United fan, so you know what. What's he done wrong for England that that requires you to sit there, you know, with your belly hanging over your jeans and you know your expert, perfect opinion on how footballers should be in certain situations when you've got no no understanding of the situation. He's done very very little wrong. Um, Man United as a team are playing poorly. I don't think it could be squared on Harry Maguire at all. Um, but that's even that. That's another issue. It's not. It's not England. It's not there to be um, to be made fun of when he's pulled out an England shirt and he's kept a clean sheet in a routine, easy, nice, easy win for England. Yeah, I I, I was thinking of the uh, the Croc camera, which manager said it is that you know. When they boo you, that means you know you're doing well. But that's when the opposition fans boo you, uh, not your own fans. <laughs> um, I really liked what Roy Keane said, which I can't believe I've just said out loud. But afterwards, Roy Keane said he thought that Southgate turned it into a bigger story than what it was. Every player gets booed, and there's going to be idiots at football matches. That just sums up the the difference between Roy Keane and, and Gareth Southgate as a manager. You know who who would you rather play for? 
would you rather play for Gareth Southgate, who's going to say, you know, that this isn't right? Or would you rather play for Roy Keane, who's barely had a, ma- a job in management because of his 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 way of, you know, managing and oh, get on with it, blah, blah, blah. You know, who would you rather play for? I mean, it's simple to me. I mean, I'll be honest right now, I'd play for either of them if I got the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we leave England, uh, move ahead to look at the the other teams that uh, have booked their place uh, uh, to Qatar. I just want to bestow upon you both the power to allocate a guaranteed seat on the plane to Qatar with England. You've got one seat, one player. Who are you making sure is going to be going out to the World Cup for England? Joel. Um, yeah, I, I would repeat what I said at the start. Apart from obviously Sterling, who's a he's a sure fit. I think Bellingham is is a player who I think will have a way much more bigger impact on this tournament compared to the last one. Um, I don't think he was quite ready in the in the Euros, but this time he's literally got a free route into that midfield. Considering Calvin Phillips has literally barely played this season, so. I would definitely say him and the fact that he has such a massive hand in Dortmund's uh, season every single season now and he's become pretty much one of the senior players in their midfield and in their entire squad. Um, I think he's, he's someone who should definitely start for me if, if things continue and Calvin Phillips doesn't pick up that form that Southgate chose him for last summer. Yeah, I mean, that that's, that's almost feels like a, an obvious thing but also quite controversial given how you know integral he was but actually what I'm taking from this is how much depth that we have in terms of England selection at the moment Marley who's your golden ticket going to uh, I love that you've you've mentioned the depth we've got there and we still ended up with with Ben White Ben White playing right back all night <laughs> um. <laughs> we got but the thing is the problem is not that we've got, not got enough right backs. It's just that we can't choose between the forty-seven that are available. I think one of our best right backs was qualifying for Poland last night uh, with Matty Cash uh, get booking his tickets yeah. to the World Cup. But yeah, um, I don't know. In, in terms, of, I think the squad's pretty much picked. To be fair, um, I, I don't think there's that many places up for grabs. Um, but I would probably echo what what Joel said. I think Bellingham was was brilliant last night and he didn't get much of a chance in the chance in the Euros but when he did get on the pitch he was really bright um and I, I think he does get slightly overlooked by by England um because of his age and I think Southgate has slight reservations um because he thinks I'll ease him in I'll give him the easy games and I, I would I'd, be, I'd like to see him play in a midfield three in, in a big game for England with sort of three in midfield and three up front um, and I'd I'd like to see him go box to box with with um, with someone with well with two guys alongside him Rice and and one more so um, I think he's he's coming on really good I think you know he, he bossed the game last night he was the best player on the pitch by a mile um, mm. and I think he sometimes gets held back by just his age um, and people think oh well there's there's more to come from him but like, he's he's pretty much a finished article now as as Joel said he's in the Dortmund team every week he's one of the main men he's one of the the, yeah. the string pullers in that midfield so I'd like to see him play a little bit more than he did in the Euros when the World Cup rolls around in you know seven or eight months time yeah and the exciting thing is as well you know Jude Bellingham is a player that we could see you know at two or three different World Cups moving forward which is very exciting let's uh, pause it there and uh, we will come back in a moment and uh, have you guys got your wall charts yet for the World Cup 
Mine's on print now. Well, I'll, I'll give you a minute to print that out and then we'll come back. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. My name's Ant McGinley. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson are with me. And the boys have been printing out their Football World Cup FIFA 2022 in Qatar wall charts as uh, we look ahead to Friday. Yes, on Friday they will be drawing out the groups um, to see who will be playing who. Big games happened last night. We had some big teams go through, some big teams missing out. Uh, but it looks like uh, pot one, uh, which England find themselves in alongside Qatar, Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina and Portugal, which means they can't get any of those teams in their group. However, um, uh, pot two, uh, I think they're going to get one of either Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Croatia, Denmark or Uruguay. Uh, out of those, Mali, uh, which would you want to avoid the most? To avoid what from pot two? Um, yeah. I'm, to be honest, I'm not that scared of any of them. Um, I would probably, historically, I would say Germany, but we, you know, we absolutely pasted them in the Euros, um, and their squad isn't that much like different or anything like that from from when we played them there. Um, and Holland are, are managed by Van Gaal, so. The, the biggest danger is the biggest danger there is just falling asleep and and conceding a goal because his his teams are that boring. Um, so yeah, I'm not really that bothered about about them. I think the the big hitters that you want to miss are, you know, the likes of Spain and Brazil and and Argentina sort of thing. So um, I think with with Holland and Germany as the big standouts, I I probably maybe just pick Germany just for the historical thing and and their talent. And you probably not like to to play them, but with the with the rest of the the teams in it, you know, you, you should be qualifying anyway. So, regardless of who you play, I I I throw Denmark into into the hat there because the last couple of times we, England have played them, it's not been the easiest uh, team to overcome. Uh, any, any different for you, Joel? Um, yeah, I mean, aside from Germany, who are kind of, I think they've got a much uh, more exciting and younger team this time round. But I think Switzerland are ones that always go off everyone's radar, but. They put out France in the Euros last year. They finished top of their group uh, ahead of Italy, which inevitably ended up knocking Italy out of the tournament and, I mean, out of the World Cup pretty much, the finals. Um, they have got a pretty good, young, exciting side, Switzerland. I don't think it'd be too much trouble for the England side, but I feel like they're quite... They're always that dark horse in every tournament. Not to say they're going to go super far, but they always end up pulling out some kind of result Every single time I've watched a major tournament, I swear Switzerland, I remember when they beat Spain, I think was it in the 20, 2012 tournament, um, where Johan uh, Juru uh, scored the goal, it's thinking a 1-0 win, and every single time they always just pull out some kind of victory, so yeah, I'm not a massive fan of their team, so I, I think I'd want to avoid them, they're a bit of a giant killer. So the draw takes place on Friday for the group stages of the Qatar World Cup. Uh, Portugal, Senegal and Poland all secured themselves places in the draw which is great because it means uh, that we will be seeing Ronaldo for one last time possibly on the global stage alongside Sadio Mane and Robert Lewandowski. However, um, due to the way the results went last night it does mean that we're not going to see Ibrahimovic at another World Cup or potentially the current, well I say potentially, or the current potential world player of the year, Mo Salah. Uh, he was uh, knocked out uh, in, in a replay, a carbon copy of the African Nation Cups final, actually. Um, in terms of that, 
is is this a bad thing? I mean, obviously it's a bad thing for Mo Salah, but for the neutrals, for for the the tournament as a whole, you know, it, is is this an argument for what FIFA are, are planning to do with expanding the World Cup to forty eight teams? We've only got thirty two teams in. Uh, I say only thirty two teams go into the, the tournament in Qatar. Um, you know, surely you know it's the it's the greatest show of football. You want the best players to be there, of course. Over the years. There's been lots of amazing footballers that we've had who who just never made an appearance on that global stage, but you know, Marley, do you think this is you know something that is a positive of them expanding the tournament um, to 48, or does that just take away all the meaning and the the excitement of actually having qualified for it? I feel I feel like it's it, it's a bit of a problem like now thinking about it, and you think, oh God, what 46 teams? But ultimately, when you get there. It's still it's more football. <laughs> like no one's gonna not watch the World Cup because there's too many teams in it. Like no one's that hard headed and and morally driven that no, there should never be more than thirty two teams in it. So I'm not gonna watch it. So you know people are gonna still watch. And I do feel like some of the qualifying is is harsh. For example, like there was a lot of good African teams in the playoffs. Um, I think we mentioned it yesterday: Nigeria against Ghana. Senegal against Egypt, you know, I think three of them were in the four, the la- <coughs> excuse me, the last four of the um, the African nations, you know, three, two months ago. So um, you look at that, and then you then you, I think it ultimately comes down to then you look at like the likes of Qatar who are getting in it, um, and that that's where the frustration comes from. You look at the uh, the four North American teams who get qualification opportunities, like. You know, USA, Canada, and Mexico are probably the the three standouts. But then you get a Honduras or a Panama or someone like that, and then they end up taking the place. And then you look at like you look at who Panama have got compared to to Egypt, and they're leaving more Salah at home, for example. Or you look at Nigeria, and and there's a bunch of good players playing for Nigeria who who aren't going to get there. And I think that's where the frustration comes from. But it's just it's just how it goes, isn't it? You know, everybody gets a chance to qualify. Um, these and this is this is the rules, you know. This is that's just the way it is. It's the way the way the cookie crumbles type of thing. So it's um, it's tough for Salah, but ultimately Egypt are pretty much a one man team. You know they, they've got Salah and they've they've not got enough elsewhere. Whereas Senegal beat them last night. They've got Mane, they've got Edouard Mendy, one of the best goalies in the world. They've got Koulibaly at centre back, one of the best centre-backs in the world and they've got Premier League and top flight players all over the pitch so ultimately that's what it comes down to and you can't just rely on Mo Salah or a penalty shootout to uh, to get you to a World Cup. From from a Liverpool point of view if uh, if they sort of manage to secure him because I know that's still sort of being debated at the moment uh, this is a great thing for Liverpool if they keep Mo Salah on and you have that mid-season break around Christmas uh, later this year in next season it just means that you know their, you know, one of their key players is going to be super fit, super relaxed, not tired. Um, I bet you'll love that as a United fan, Joel. He might not even be there considering this contract scenario going on. Uh, but to be honest, I'd expect Egypt to be going out of the group stages regardless. So I don't think he would have been there for too long. <laughs> like they did in the 2018 Russia World Cup. They absolutely were awful. Um, so I don't think he would have been a massive miss anyway. He would have been strolling around the pitch, not really getting many chances. But uh, yeah, you know, with these kind of players like Salah and Ibrahimovic, I, the players who... 
they're not going to light it up as much as we thought. Like in real, in in practice, they're not going to be as good as how we think it would be. I mean, Ibrahimovic, he's played in the 2002 World Cup and the 2006 World Cup, and they were the last ones he played in, and he's not scored a single goal. And then since then, he's just been in the Euros because Sweden haven't been able to qualify for any of the World Cups since. Um, and then with Salah again, as Marley said, if he maybe had some extra firepower in that team, like another winger who was on the world stage, then maybe, you know, it takes the pressure off him. It makes Egypt a better side. But it's the fact that he's he is to Egypt what, like, Shevchenko was to Ukraine. They relied on him for the goals and getting him out of tight situations. So I don't think he's going to be a player that's going to be missed in the World Cup. Neither of them will be, I don't think. And I think the fact that, you know, Lewandowski, Ronaldo, Lewandowski's still definitely in his prime um, and that Poland side have definitely got a better chance of going way further than Sweden or uh, Egypt. So yeah, I think I think the right thing has happened to be honest. And everyone wants to see Ronaldo back in a World Cup again, just because. Well, just because, isn't it? I mean, if Messi's there, Ronaldo's got to be there. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I just pray to God that Argentina and Portugal get drawn together. I can't even remember the last time they played each other. Um, but like you know, again, as Mali said as well, it's the fact that you know these teams like Honduras and Panama and Costa Rica and all these teams that you don't really hear of, they're teams where England won't play. Will play them probably once every thirty years or something like that. It's so rare. So I think with the World Cup, it's okay to expand the tournament because there's so many worldwide teams. Whereas in the Euros, uh, if you remember in Euro 2016 they changed the rules where the third place were going to a playoff to then go into the knockouts and it just diluted the quality so badly um, to the point where it was like unnecessary to include these sides so I think with the World Cup it's safe to expand it but with the Euros there's just not enough teams and enough quality to actually do that so I'd, be, I'd welcome it to be honest I love seeing these kind of smaller teams and having a crack at trying to get through the World Cup and just enjoying it so now it, it's a good spectacle for all yeah, these teams and I think the never thing really is that obviously it. we're going to miss Mo Salah and it would have been great to see Ibrahimovic even though he was just on the fringes of the Sweden team again um, but I don't think there's ever been a World Cup where you haven't had a breakthrough star. You know, this is part of the thing, you know, by not having these players there. And and, and sometimes these players come along and um, they do make it to the final, but then they get injured and they miss out and it's somebody else that steps in. For example, you know, you only have to go back to uh, England and their one World Cup success. Jimmy Greaves was the man going into <laughs> that tournament. And, uh, you know... You're showing your age, yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, <laughs> Jeff Hurst that came in for him. That's, you know, it became the legend on, on the back of that. Personally, the, the one that, that really stands out, that had the biggest impression, my first World Cup experience was 1990. And Roger Miller for Cameroon. <laughs> you know, that was that was a player that, you know, nobody had really heard of outside of Cameroon. You know, he, he was 40, I think, at the time, maybe 41, and became an absolute star. Um and th th this happens, you know. So th while we won't have Mo Salah, we are going to have other players that come through. For for you, is, are, are the players that pop into your mind in terms of, um, you know, World Cups that have suddenly just popped onto your radar and and uh, all the world's radar and become a star? Molly? Well, f firstly, I can't I can't believe that you didn't know uh, Roger Miller before the nineteen ninety tournament because he played for the the powerhouses that were uh, Cameroonian side Tonair Kalara Club of Yaoundé, um, where he'd scored 89 goals in six, uh, 116 games, according to Wikipedia. So Sensational knowledge, Marley. You should have you known this, Andy. <laughs> you should have known this. Um, 
but yeah, you know, the, I, it is one of the the good things in it. I, I remember watching. Um, I think it was back in. I think it was the twenty um, two thousand and eight World Cup. Um, no, two thousand six World Cup. Sorry, where Miroslav Klose came along and I think he scored about eight goals or something in the. Mm. In the... I think six in one game, wasn't it? Or something crazy. Yeah, it was madness. Um, and it was like the breakout star type of thing that you know that you're talking about. It's you know players uh, announced themselves and you know nobody really knew Miroslav Klose before that, but he ended up going on and being the World Cup top scorer for for a long time until uh, until fairly recently. So. Um, yeah, it, it it's just one of one of them things where because the world's watching, you know. I mean, how many players do you see turn into completely new players when the when the World Cup comes on, and then they get signed by a, a team and they end up being crap week in week out? Like Musa Sissoko is the absolute epitome of of that example with uh, with France. He used to look like absolutely insane in, in European Championships and World Cups come back to Newcastle and stink the place out every uh, every few year, every few <laughs> months so in the end we ended up selling him to Spurs for 30 million on the, off the back of it so long may that uh, continue in terms of uh, playing out your skin in a big tournament so it's just that's that's the carrot in, in front of everyone you're on the world's you're on the world stage and if you can chase that chase that uh, carrot on the stick type of thing and, and you know you've got what three games to to prove you've got one big move in you and it can change your career and and change the way you know you're sort of viewed in in the world's uh, world's game type of thing yeah other players that stand out for me from from the world cup that really sort of announced themselves uh valencia who of course went on to man united in germany 2006 james rodriguez uh, yeah big player with great performance in brazil in 2010 and who can forget in russia 2018 Eric Dyer. Um, so <laughs> before we before we move on, I just want to talk about the uh, the penalty shootout and um, a lot of social media going around. A lot of images. Very hard to even see the official images of this without the the le- green lasers. But as um, Mo Salah steps up to take the first penalty, which he missed, um, there's about it, it looks like he's got a whole SWAT team pointing guns at him. Uh, now, of course, we, we've seen this previously in, in the Euros last year. Uh, England against Denmark. Schmeichel had a laser pointer going across his eyes. Um, I mean, I, I'm just obviously this is this is a thing that I, I don't know. We've heard it, ca- cases of it happening uh, at sort of a, a, a domestic level as well. But I'm just stumped as to how we actually stop this from happening without kind of um, because these laser pointers are so small. It's very easy if somebody wanted to bring this in and use that. Um, it's very easy to do um and it's very difficult to trace where it's actually come from um in terms of the the cameras so in short of you know putting some kind of barrier behind the goal which defeats the whole point of having fans there to watch the game i'm not really sure uh, what we can do to solve this because um i'm not sure it's something that the referee's potentially aware of when the penalty's been taken with var perhaps we can go back and do it but then What's to stop it just happening again if if we retake it? So th- this is this is something of a uh, of just throwing it out there. A- any ideas or suggestions of of how we we solve this issue? I would um, think about you know you know when um, teams are warming up and they put the nets up behind the goal. So if the uh, you know the crowd doesn't get absolutely nailed by by stray shots from from footballers, I think if you put one of those nets up, it would it would. St- it would be very hard to get a laser pen pointed through some of the mesh into the player's eyes. 
Um, so maybe that could be could be something. Um, the I mean the the obvious thing is to say is to search people on the way in and say have you got a laser pen and you know whatever and and get to be to honest, Marley, with the amount of lasers, it, but... I think I think they were just handing them out. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah you you probably got a. You buy a pint at half time and you get a free laser pen with it or something. It <laughs> yeah. was madness. You should get it instead of instead of being green, you get it in your club colours. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if there's, there's possibly some kind of like I'm thinking of you know Edgar Davids used to play in those glasses to correct that vision problem he had. Um, <laughs> you know, potentially we're going to see this thing where somebody will develop a pair of, uh, of sunglasses that cancels out the laser. And so it's going to be like every time you step up to take a, a penalty, it'd be like you're doing 3D or, or VR uh, before you go in. But there you go. That, that's something, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be a problem that will uh, rear its head again. Let's pause things there and we will come back in a moment and look at what is possibly um, the signing of the season who scored again last night on international duty. Welcome back to part three of the Football Social Daily. Ant McGinley, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson in attendance. Uh, So, last summer, the eyes of the world were on the European Championships and we all watched on with horror as Christian Eriksen took to the field in Copenhagen and during that game against Finland, well, we all know what happened there. Well, last night... He returned for the first time to that stadium with the Danish team and following on the back of his goal on Saturday, he scored once again. So showing that he's back to full fitness, definitely back to his best that we've seen him at before. And this now points towards what could possibly be the shrewdest signing of the season. And if he can maintain that form or even a percentage of that form, when he goes back to Brentford, that is surely going to put them in a really good position in the last few games and their attempts to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think, if well, let's not forget, Ericsson is still a top-level player. And the only reason he had to leave into Milan was because the fact that Italy doesn't allow players to wear the defibrillator devices in Serie A. So if that wasn't the case, he would probably still be playing for Inter Milan and still playing at the top level, still playing for the Scudetto and all of the trophies that they play for. Um, I think most clubs, and I'm, you know what, I'm surprised that a, lo- a lot more clubs weren't in for him because um, it's the fact that I'm, I'm sure they were quite scared that they would have to invest in someone who potentially may have you know health issues and it's a big investment, of course, but... It's the fact that, you know, I didn't realise how quickly he would come back and I also didn't realise how quickly he would begin to show what he showed prior to that uh, prior to that incident. Um, of course, I thought that he would maybe take his foot off the gas a little bit on the pitch or he would be a little bit hesitant when playing, but it seems to me as though he's really beginning to just come back into his own again and as everyone remembered him as prior to that incident, so... I mean, for for, Brent, for Brentford, you've got to say fair play to them because they were the only club who were willing to take, I, I want to say a risk in a way, but it's not really a risk if the health or the doctors, he's had the best doctors, the best health um, healthcare around him have said he's cleared to play. So it shouldn't really be that much of a risk by doing that. But fair play to, um, to Brentford for actually taking that step and letting him have another chance uh, at the top level in the Premier League because it's looking like it's turning out to be one of the the better signings from any club in January but again I also wonder as well because I think he's only a short term contract isn't it so 
maybe in the summer it's hard to gauge what kind of club he may want to go on to, whether he wants to play at an even better level or for a better club. But right now, I think it's just working perfectly for him. They can just be back on the football pitch again. And um, yeah, again, credit to Brentford for actually giving him the chance because not a lot, not a lot of other clubs wanted to do that, clearly. I mean, we all held our breath watching the scenes play out last summer. And I've got to be honest, I, I did that myself when I heard that he was going to be back playing in the Premier League because you know, my, my thought was, you know, I really hope that he's all right and he's going to be okay. And the thing is, like, ha- having watched watched him play now, I mean, I don't want to trivialise it, but he seems to have come back stronger than most players do after a hamstring injury. I mean, it is really <laughs> incredible whether that's down to the the skill of the technicians or the surgeons that were involved in doing this or the staff that are around in the medical staff, the programme. But it, it, is, it is an absolute joy to, to see. And um, I, I suppose at this point, I've got to ask Newcastle fan Marley Anderson, how much will the Magpies be bidding for him in the summer? <laughs> well, he's on he's on a free, isn't he? So we'll just uh, we'll lure him up to up to Newcastle and the uh, the the promise of some nice bridges and stuff. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have him. But now he's uh, he's he's quality, isn't he? I think we I think we do forget what good player like how good a player he was before the uh, the incident in the summer. So you know he he was at Inter. He had a, he had a tough time at Inter, to be fair, but. It was a, a new system and a new country for him, and it was hard to for him to adapt. But you know, since coming back into the Premier League and, and having a team built around him, um, like like um, Brentford are doing, you know, playing him in his best position and showing him some love, um, the, the relationship between him and um, Thomas Frank is is obviously one that goes back a long, long way. So it's like what I said before, you know, when when a manager loves you and he's got your back, you know, you you don't feel the pressure. Um, and you don't feel as though you're sort of fighting a against uh, fighting to prove yourself type of thing. But when you've got the quality Christian Eriksen always has had, then you know you could you, if you get the best out of him, you've got a hell of a player there. And I think Brentford are reaping the rewards of that because they've they've picked up some big results recently, and that looks to have kept them safe. Now let's just look at uh, one. Uh, this kind of thing comes up all the time after somebody puts in a good performance. But uh, a bit of transfer gossip, which is quite nice and also quite potential. Uh, Real Madrid have identified uh, Borussia Dortmund and England midfielder Jude Bellingham as a target, even though uh, Liverpool are also looking at him as well. Um, I mean, if if you look at him, we, we mentioned him in the, in the first part. He, he's he's still. He's still a teenager, still a young teenager at that as well. Uh, he's got the experience of playing in the championship with Birmingham. He's now got a couple of seasons under his belt in uh, in Germany in the Bundesliga. I mean, potentially what we're looking at here is is, a, is an English player who could be in the you know even before they're twenty with experience of playing in two uh, foreign leagues, which is pretty much unheard of at the moment. Uh, but again in terms of it, how we've seen him grow and develop already you know I, I think um, I mean Joel I mean I, I know you're quite as a United fan you're not the biggest fan of Liverpool I think that's the last place you'd want to see him to go, go to <laughs> <laughs> but I mean do, do you think in terms of his development as a player um, do you think sort of going to La Liga is something that's really going to push him forward or would you like to see him now you know he, he's already proved himself he's, he's, he's been in Germany now taking the opportunity and coming to the Premier League. 
But to be honest, I literally forgot that he's only 18. I was thinking he was like 22 or something, considering how kind of mature he plays in the way he speaks as well. So for me, I think, well, he's literally lived the most dreamlike football story so far of like being in the the trenches of Birmingham and then going to Borussia Dortmund, getting into a Euro squad, playing in the Champions League, now getting caught, probably called up to the World Cup squad, all at the age of 18. It's like... It's like how meteoric the rise was of Rooney. Not to say that their careers are going to be similar or that they are similar quality because Rooney was just a different stratosphere at that age. But, I mean, you can't really say that there's much difference. I mean, Bellingham's been playing at the top level now for the last two years. So, for me, I think I don't think there should be any rush in him trying to move on because at 18, you're playing in a Champions League team, one of the best teams in Europe, um, amazing fan base, and they're always trying, well, trying to compete for the Bundesliga. Um, of course, he'll look around at the Dortmund team and he'll see that Sancho's left at 21. Then you'll see the Harlands. He's gonna he's gonna leave this summer at 21, 22. So for me, I just don't think there's any rush. I feel like he should still keep developing there for a couple of years and not run the risk of leaving too soon. He goes to a much more high pace, high quality league. Not to say that he wouldn't be able to match the pace, but for a player who's very young, I feel like you have to still be careful um, because the Bundesliga is a very different level compared to the Premier League. As we've seen with many players from the Bundesliga who've come over to England, it takes them quite a long time to adapt. As we've seen, you know, Jaden Sancho, Kai Havertz, um, even uh, Werner, who's still finding his feet, and he was pretty much a seasoned goal scorer in the Bundesliga. So I feel as though, in the best interest of his career, there's no rush at all. I feel like he should, he should still keep maturing, developing. It might, might even end up becoming Dortmund captain. You never know because Hummels is slowly going to be on his way out. So I think he's in the best place for his development. And as we saw with Sancho, he only stayed there until... Well, he arrived at 17 and stayed there until he was 21. And I think he left at the perfect time. Um, so I think Bellingham is in the right place at the right time and just allow his stock to continue to rise, to be honest. Birmingham City, uh, where, he, where he came from, uh, they knew what they had in him. When he left at 16, they actually retired his shirt number. Um, <laughs> I really do hope that they have a sell-on clause and get a percentage of, of any fee that comes from him in the future. Speaking of which, Newcastle fan Marley Anderson, how much will Newcastle bid for Jude Bellingham in the summer? <laughs> uh, hopefully all the tea in China, because the kid is absolutely mint. He's, he's so good. Um, yeah. Hopefully, two hundred million. Let's just blow everyone out of the water. Let's let's, let's cut to the chase and just uh, have him in the Newcastle number twenty-two shirt, and uh, we'll retire that in a few years when we inevitably sell him to uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Joel and Marley. Uh, thank you. I will be back tomorrow for another dose of uh, daily action as we start to turn our head towards uh, another round of Premier League fixtures coming up this weekend and also we will have one eye on that World Cup draw taking place on Friday. Thanks very much for joining us today and do remember uh, to give us a follow and leave us a nice review as well. Thank you very much.